Amen. Welcome, everyone. Wow, what a great welcome! You are so excited you didn't say anything. Uh, it is uh, good to um, have you all here, and it's good to be here. How many of you are excited? Amen. Amen. Praise God. Okay, you you sound excited. You sound excited. Um, I want to, um, you know, as I was thinking about what to share, I believe the Lord actually gave me what what He wanted me to share um, some time ago, and uh, you know, I was I've been talking to God in particular today to to kind of just ask the Lord to really help me um, get the point across what He wants to get across. So I'm going to ask that as I'm speaking, that um, you would be, your hearts would be really open and your minds would be really in tune to what the Spirit of God has to say. You know, often we can treat a sermon like a sermon um, instead of sometimes realizing that the preacher is really just like trying to talk to you. you understand, do you understand what I'm saying? And afterward, you, you may say something like, man, that was a great sermon, Right? Or, or, wow, that was a great song, but you kind of miss the, the, um, the meaning behind it. And so what I want to share with you today, beloved, is that um, don't, don't look at this as a sermon. Look at this as we're just kind of by the fireside and I'm talking to you right now. Amen? Um, I believe that what God wants to share with us is very crucial, is very important. Um, Army. It stands for Adventist Revival Movement of the End Time. And I believe, beloved, that, that you know, an army without a mission or without a vision goes nowhere. You believe that? And so what I want to do is I want to share with you, I mean, how many of you are here to learn how to study the Word of God? Amen. Praise God. And that's what I want to do. As we're, as we're going through the word of God and as the different speakers are sharing, we want to inspire you with a love for the word of God and the love for prayer. Amen? Uh, but I also want you to understand why you should have a love for the word of God and why you should have a love for prayer. And so that's what I'm going to do in, in this talk with you this evening. I want, to, I want to, first of all, encourage some of you because some of you are here, you're struggling with different things, you're looking for victory. So I want to do that in, in the first part of our talk, and then I need to convince you of something. So pray for me, because I really, really want to convince you what I'm about to share. I've entitled the, the talk, the message, The Fourth Decree. The Fourth Decree. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, we come before you in a very special way asking that you would please speak to us, Lord, through your word. Lord, encourage us, strengthen us, and most of all, Lord, convince us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The Bible says where there is no vision, the people what? Perish. So, beloved, what I want to do is I want to cast a vision before you, and I believe it is the vision of army. How many of you would like to see Jesus come again? Amen. 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 We're going to take a look at something that I believe is, is, is absolutely amazing. I want you to go with me to the book of Daniel. Daniel, the fifth chapter. Daniel chapter 5. And uh, let's begin reading from verse 1. When you get there, please say amen. amen. Daniel 5, beginning with verse 1, the Bible says, Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver what? Vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. That the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines might drink therein. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. Belshazzar here is having a feast and he decides to take the vessels of the Lord, the what everyone? Vessels of the Lord and he decides to put wine in those vessels. What is he doing? In actuality, he is mocking God. Are you with me? Now, while this is happening, who knows what else is happening outside the city? A siege is going on. Who is leading the siege? A general by the name of Cyrus. Notice with me, if you will, the book of Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah chapter 44. We'll come back to the book of Daniel. But go with me quickly to the book of Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah 44 verse 27. When you get there, please say amen. Isaiah 44, verse 27. Before we read, who does uh, Nebuchadnezzar, or Belshazzar rather, have, let's, let's rephrase that. Babylon has taken captive what precious nation that belongs to God? Jerusalem, Israel, okay? And you'll remember that uh, when Nebuchadnezzar had taken Israel captive, what did he do to the temple there? He destroyed it, Okay? So just a little bit of background here. Um, um, it, now Belshazzar is having this feast, and, and we know that, that there's a, a general by the name of Cyrus who is outside the city. He's, uh, uh, there is a siege around Babylon, but, but Belshazzar is not too worried. Okay? Now, I want you to notice with me Isaiah chapter 44. What was prophesied of this general Cyrus? Isaiah 44, verse 27, that saith to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up thy rivers. That saith of Cyrus, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying to Jerusalem, thou shall be what? Built, and of the temple, thy foundation shall be laid. Go with me to chapter 45. 
chapter 45, thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden to subdue nations before him, and I will loose the loins of kings to open before him the two-leaved gates, and the gates shall not be what, everyone? Let's read that again. The gates shall not be shut. All right, let's, let's talk a little bit about this. The Bible says of this Cyrus that he would do something. He would, in particular, he would descend into the what? Isaiah 44, verse 27, he would descend into the deep and dry up the rivers. This was prophesying that this Cyrus, as he was seeking to besiege uh, uh, Babylon, would actually dry up the river that surrounded Babylon. What river was that that protected Babylon? The Euphrates River. So why was Belshazzar inside Babylon totally confident even though he knew there was a siege going on. He felt he was safe in his kingdom. In fact, if I may uh, read to you, Prophets and Kings, page 523, it says, Babylon was besieged by Cyrus, nephew of Darius the Mede, and commanding general of the combined armies of the Medes and the Persians. But within the seemingly impregnable fortress, so Babylon appeared to be an impregnable what? Fortress. With its massive walls and its gates of brass, protected by the river Euphrates and stocked with provision in abundance, the voluptuous monarch felt safe and passed his time in mirth and revelry. Babylon seemed well fortified. Siege, I've got food to last for years. Go ahead, knock yourself out. (laughs) Belshazzar is totally confident. Little does he realize that outside the city gates, this Cyrus is drying up the river And what does he do? He descends into the riverbed and he opens the gates, the two-leaved gates that protected Babylon. In the meantime, something is now happening inside Babylon. Notice with me, back in Daniel chapter 5, back in Daniel chapter 5, Daniel 5, verse 5, as they're drinking and as Cyrus is drying up the riverbed and entering into the city unbeknownst to the Babylonians, the Bible says in verse 5, in the same hour came forth, what everyone? Fingers of a man's hand. And wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him. So that his joints of his loins were what? Loosed and his knees smote one to another. Do you remember what we just read in Isaiah 45? That, that Cyrus would, would cause the knees of kings to smite together and loose their loins? Belshazzar is totally terrified because of this hand that writes on the wall. What does the hand write? Go with me. 
if you will, to verse 24. Same chapter, verse 24. Then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this was the writing. And this is the writing that was written, Mene, Mene, Tekel, Eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mene, God has numbered thy what? Kingdom and finished it. And what, everyone? And what, everyone? Finished it. What, everyone? One more time. And what? Finished it. So his kingdom, Belshazzar's kingdom was finished. Good. I'm leading, I'm, I'm building you up for something. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balance and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to who? The Medes and the Persians. You see, beloved, that writing on the wall was Belshazzar's death knell. He knew at that moment that his kingdom was finished. It's interesting. If we were to look at this story and, and find another application, we would find that Belshazzar, who was said to have lifted himself up against God, who is the king of Babylon, has or serves as a type or a symbol of somebody greater. Who would Belshazzar serve as a symbol of? Satan. King of Babylon. Isn't that right? Do you remember Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah chapter 14? Listen. Satan, just like Belshazzar, had this world captive. Are you with me? Babylon is used as a symbol of Satan's kingdom in Revelation chapter 18 where God says, uh, there's a call that goes forth, come out of her, my what? My people. Meaning that God has people captive in Babylon. Belshazzar serves as a symbol of Lucifer, of Satan. Well, if that's correct, then this story actually teaches something very profound. You see, this story was foreshadowing a much greater reality. Was there ever a time where Satan took the vessel of the Lord and began to mock it? Do you know that according to 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 4, the Bible tells us that we are God's vessels? So if human beings, or if vessels are a symbol of human beings, then you tell me, is there ever a time where Satan took one of the most precious vessels of God and began to mock him? What do you think? Turn with me, if you will, to the book of Luke chapter 18. Very quickly, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verse 32. When you get there, please say amen. Luke 18, verse 32, the Bible says here, For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be what, everyone? 
mocked and spitefully entreated and spit it upon. Chapter 22, go with me quickly. Luke chapter 22, verse 63. Luke 22, verse 63, the Bible says, And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. How about Luke 23, verse 11? Luke 23, verse 11, And Herod with his men of war set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in gorgeous robes and sent him again to Pilate. What's happening here? It's as though Satan is having a feast day. It's as though Satan is reveling in this mockery of the vessel of God. But beloved, listen to me. It was when Belshazzar took the vessels of the Lord and began to mock it. It was at that point that God said, enough. It was at that point that God says, I'm going to send Cyrus. Now, listen very carefully, please, because if you were reading Isaiah 45, you may have noticed some things interesting about Cyrus. You see, the Bible says that Cyrus was God's shepherd. Anyone notice that? It also called him his anointed. You know what the word anointed means? It means Messiah or Christ. Could it be, beloved, that Cyrus is actually a symbol or a type of Christ? So watch this. You see, <clears throat> Satan has taken the vessel of, of God and is mocking it. He is secure in his kingdom, his city. The city of death and hell. He is seated, his kingdom is seated upon a river called the deep. You know what Romans 10 verse 7 uh, describes as a deep? It describes it as death. Okay. I'm just going to wait for you. <laughs> Here is Satan's kingdom. Seemingly impenetrable. Seemingly impenetrable. No one can penetrate it. There he sits, full provisions. I am the king of death and hell. And no one can get into my kingdom and leave alive. <laughs> Little does Satan know that outside the city, Outside the city walls. You're going to make me get excited alone. <laughs> really, seriously, you're going to do that to me. Outside the city walls, there is a general <laughs> named Jesus. And what is he going to do, beloved? Watch, watch this. Jesus understands that in order to penetrate the devil's kingdom, he has to dry up the deep. He has to descend. Okay. <laughs> He's got to descend into that city of death. 
And so, beloved, what happens is that Jesus, as he descends into the grave, do you know what he does? He penetrates death. And then he opens. Do you remember the verse that when Jesus says, the gates of hell shall not what? Prevail against his kingdom? Jesus, the Cyrus of the New Testament, penetrates, descends into, into the deep. He penetrates Satan's kingdom, the dominion of death, and then he opens the gates, beloved. And according to what we read in Isaiah 45, it says the gates would not be what? Shut. (laughs) Wait, wait, wait. Do you remember what Jesus' first sermon was? After he came from, from, um, from the wilderness and he went into the temple and he began to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has what? Anointed me. Now, you, you all have read that before, correct? Do you know where he's quoting from? He's quoting from Isaiah 61. Do you know who Isaiah 61 is talking about? Cyrus. Okay. (laughs) Cyrus was the one, speaking in Isaiah 61, he was the one that God had anointed to go into Babylon and set the captives free. So Jesus, when he comes upon a scene and he reads that verse, it's as though he's saying, hey, Cyrus is here. (laughs) Okay, wait. So, you'll remember that when Jesus, or I'm sorry, when, when Cyrus was entering in to Belshazzar's domain, at the same time, the Bible says that there was uh, a hand that wrote on the wall. Do you know what happened when Jesus died? An unseen hand. An unseen hand tore the veil in the temple from top to bottom. What did Jesus cry out? You you must be so excited you're just silent. (laughs) It is finished. What did the hand write on Belshazzar's wall? Wow, 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 wow. Listen to this. Bible Commentary, Volume 5, page 1109. 
it was not the hand of the priest that rent from top to bottom the gorgeous veil that divided the holy place from the most holy place. It was the hand of God. When Christ cried out, it is finished, the holy watcher that was an unseen guest at Belshazzar's feast Beloved, what I'm trying to do right now is give you an excitement for the word of God. Amen? (laughs) I want to demonstrate to you how beautiful and symmetrical the word of God is. So, so, the unseen guest at Belshazzar's feast pronounced the Jewish nation to be a nation unchurched. The same hand that traced on the wall the characters that recorded Belshazzar's doom and the end of the Babylonian kingdom rent the veil of the temple from top to bottom. I believe that Satan's loins Yeah, I I think so. How many of you think so? (laughs) I think his loins were loose. How about you? (laughs) I think his knees smote together. How about you? Beloved, it's as though Jesus is trying to tell us, listen. Let me say it this way. Some of you have come here today with things holding you captive. I've come here with heavy burdens. This thing in my past, it kind of holds me captive. Uh, This thing is holding me captive, mentally captive. Or or this situation, I can't really worship God the way I want to worship him right now because, you know, I'm kind of bound. Beloved, it's as though Jesus is saying, look, the gates are open. You can go if you want. The gates are open. Just go ahead and walk out because the prophecy stated that the gates would never be shut. Can you imagine the devil and his demons trying to shut the gate and can't do it? God says you don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to be bound. The gates are open. I am Cyrus, the general of heaven. You are free to go. If you so choose. Beloved Cyrus. Was not just called of God. To set the captives free. You see there was a reason. That he was called. To set the captives free. I want you to turn with me. To the book of 2nd Chronicles. Chapter 36. 2nd Chronicles. Chapter 36. Second Chronicles chapter 36, beginning with verse 22. When you're there, please say amen. The Bible says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord spoken by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing saying, thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth has the Lord God of heaven given me, and he has charged me to build him and what? House where? 
in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? The Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. What did Cyrus do here? After he set the captives free, he then says, God has commissioned me to build him a what? Temple in Jerusalem. You've been set free so that you can go about doing the work of building God's house. Are you with me? Now, we understand that this decree that, that Cyrus gave, in fact, go with me quickly, if you will, to, to the book of Isaiah 45. Go again there with me quickly, if you will. Isaiah 45, and notice verse 13, I believe it is. Isaiah 45, verse 13. Isaiah 45, verse 13. It says, I, will, I have raised him up in righteousness. I will direct in all his ways. He shall build my city. He shall let go my captives, not for price nor reward, saith the Lord of hosts. Again, verifying that Cyrus was called upon to let the captives go so that they can go and build the city. Now, we are very familiar with a prophecy at Seventh-day Adventists. There is a particular prophecy that tells us about the rebuilding of the temple. What prophecy is that? Well, not the 2300 day. The rebuilding of the temple would be the, the early part of the 2300 day prophecy, which is the what? 70 week prophecy. It's found in the book of Daniel 9. Turn there with me quickly, if you will. Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. You'll remember, Daniel is here praying because he's, he's wanting to know what's going to happen with the people of God and the city of God. And God gives him a vision. Don't lose me here. Please, I bet you'll be very upset if you allowed your mind to wander. Daniel 9, verse 24 the Bible says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now notice verse 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going forth of the commandment to restore and to build Jerusalem unto the Messiah the Prince shall be seven weeks and threescore and two weeks. The street shall be built again. The what, everyone? Street shall be built again and the what? Wall, even in troublous times. Now, don't get confused here. You've read that verse many times. You probably go, I always black out when I read this verse. Don't do that right now. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to simply talk about, for the, for the rest of our time, uh, the fact that we're going to look at these decrees and we're going to recognize which one we as Seventh-day Adventists say began the counting of that decree. Let me ask you, just to test you, how many decrees were given? It was actually four. Four decrees. Which decree do we count as Seventh-day Adventists? All right, let, let's go ahead and take a look at this. Uh, our first decree, the first decree was from Cyrus. That's the one that we just read. That decree was given in 536 BC. It's found in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. 
And uh, go there with me quickly, if you will. Ezra chapter 1. Ezra chapter 1. This is where I'm going to really, really, really need you to really pay attention. Ezra chapter 1. Let's look at verse 1 through 3. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord might be, uh, by the mouth of Jeremiah, might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a what? A what, everyone? Okay, man, you're saying that really poorly. A what, everyone? Proclamation. Now, just go ahead and say that excitingly. Even though you don't know why you're getting excited, just go ahead and say, a what, everyone? Proclamation. One more time, a what? proclamation. So the the decree that Cyrus gave was a proclamation. Notice what it says. Throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, thus saith Cyrus king of Persia, the Lord God has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has charged me to build him and a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. So Cyrus's decree pointed the people to a temple that had laid what? In ruins. That decree, however, was only pointing to the temple, not the restructuring of the entire city. Are you with me? All right. So, by the way, if you go over to Ezra chapter 2, chapters, uh, verse 64, it says the whole congregation together was 42,303 score. Beside their servants and their maids, of whom there were 7,337, and there were among them 200 singing men and singing women. So, altogether, there were 50,000 Jews that left Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. How many Jews? Just go ahead and say that excitedly. How many? 50,000. You're probably wondering, what does 50,000 have to do with anything? And what does a proclamation have to do with anything? Be prepared, beloved. Be, just get excited in your heart right now. I'm, I'm warning you. <laughs> All right, so that's decree number one. And by the way, the man that was used to carry out that decree or to carry out the orders of that decree was the man Zerubbabel. All right? Now, let's go ahead and look at the second decree, which is found in Ezra chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. This one is by Darius, and it was given in 520 BC. Ezra chapter 6, Ezra chapter 6, verse 6. Now, therefore, Tatnea, governor beyond the river, uh, beyond the river, Shethar Banzai, Bosni, Bosni, and your companions, the, forget about that word, which are beyond the river, Be ye far from thence, let the work of this house of God alone. What's Darius doing here? Darius' decree, his second decree, is against the enemies of God's people. Are you with me? He's saying, leave this work alone. Why? Because the enemies of God's people had begun to make uh, completing the work difficult for the Jews. They were trying to stop the work or war against the work. So Cyrus's is the first what? Decree or proclamation followed by what king? Darius. Second decree against the enemies of God's people. Now let's go ahead and check out the third decree which is the one given by who? Artaxerxes. We find that in Ezra chapter 7. This one was given in four. 57 BC. Notice with me Ezra chapter 7, verse 7. 
couple of things about this decree. There went up some of the children of, of Israel and of the priests and the Levites, Nephilims, unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. Look with me in verse 9. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon, and on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. This is all Artaxerxes' decree when he left. Okay, 457 BC. Jump with me to verse 12, if you will. Artaxerxes says, I make a decree. Or we might say a? A what, everyone? Proclamation. Notice this. That all they of the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. Jump down with me to verse 24. Or rather, verse 25. And thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy... This is still the decree. Thou, Ezra, after the wisdom of thy God that is in thine hand, set magistrates and what? Judges which may judge all the people that are beyond the river, all such as know the laws of thy God, and teach them that they know... Teach them that know them not. And whosoever will not do the law of thy God and the law of the king, let judgment be executed speedily unto him, whether it be unto death or to banishment. (laughs) So the third decree is a decree that gave Israel autonomy. They now became their own nation, if you will, again. So the temple is built. Enemies of God's people are shoved back. The third decree now gives Israel autonomy and shows emphasis on the law of God. The commandments of God. And says those who refuse to keep these commandments... Should see death. Is it okay? Let me pause right here. Is anyone thinking with me right now? Is anyone, does anyone see where this is going? Most of you don't. Praise God. That gives me more excitement and just joy of knowing that you don't know what I'm about to share. <laughs> that's all. Okay. So, so, that's the third decree. And finally, there is the Fourth decree. What is the name of my message? The fourth decree. Who gave the fourth decree? It was Artaxerxes again, but who carried out that decree? The pro- well, not the prophet, but rather Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Now, what was Nehemiah's work? To rebuild what? The walls and the streets. See, everything else had already been done. Are you with me? This decree was given in 445 BC. So 13 years after the third decree. Go with me to Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. That Hananiah, one of my brethren, came, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them, Concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. And what, everyone? 
and reproach, the wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. You see, beloved, Nehemiah was under the impression that after the third decree had been given, Jerusalem was doing well. The work had been going forward. But he suddenly hears that, that, that that's not the case. Thirteen long years have passed and the city, the work has not been finished. So, Let, let me show you where, where we're going. <laughs> Watch this. Babylon is overthrown. Amen? And then Cyrus gives a decree or a proclamation. One proclamation. The first proclamation, bringing attention to a temple that had laid desolate. But opposition arises to Cyrus's decree or proclamation. A second proclamation must be given, calling the, uh, um, in, in essence, rebuking the enemies of God's people so that the work can do what? Go forward. But those two first two decrees only dealt with the temple. A third decree had to be given in order to separate God's people and give them their own land and territory. They become an autonomous people. But between the third proclamation... There must, after the third proclamation, there would come a fourth proclamation, which is really a part of the third proclamation. Because the work that was to be finished under the third proclamation, the people of God failed to do. And Nehemiah, this burdened man, this man that was not a prophet, that was not a priest, that was not a preacher, just, just a, a, a layman, if you will, suddenly has a burden. Because he hears that the work is not finished. And under Nehemiah's leadership, he arouses Israel under that fourth decree. And says, we're going to finish this wall and this street. Because Nehemiah knew that in order for Messiah to come, Jerusalem had to be rebuilt. The Bible describes a power by the name of Babylon in the book of Revelation. She's also described as a city or as a woman. That woman 
held God's people in captive for how long? 1260 years, known as the Dark Ages. But praise be to God, something happened in 1798. What happened? Babylon received a deadly wound. Let's compare Babylon's deadly wound to Cyrus overthrowing literal Babylon. Are you with me? Now, if we can compare those two, we might expect that sometime after 1798, a proclamation a proclamation would come about directing the people's minds to a temple that had laid desolate. Are you with me? Are, are you there with me now? We call it the first angel's message. Listen to this statement. Where are you? I, I, just, I just took half. I just, want, I just want to read half of the sentence, if you will. At the proclamation of the first angel's message... What is the first angel's message? A proclamation. A proclamation directing the minds of the people to a temple, a heavenly what? Temple that had been desolated during the dark ages under the reign of Babylon. Well, if that's the case, we might say that that message that went forth from 1840 to 1843-44 might rep the people who brought forth that message would represent in a symbolic sense the work of Zerubbabel. Are you with me? By the way, <clears throat> guess how many Millerites? You're really going to make me get excited. All by myself. 50,000 Millerites under the first angel's message. What? What? <laughs> what? So, 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 if there was a first decree, we might rightly assume that a second decree would come. That we might rightly assume would be the second angel's message which declared Babylon to be what? Fallen. The enemies of God's people who were warring against the work they were doing in 1843 and 1844. In Excuse me, in fact, we read in early writings, page 237, as the churches refused to receive the first angel's message, they rejected the light from heaven and fell from favor of God. They trusted to their own strength, and by opposing the first message, just like the people under Darius' decree were opposing the work of the sanctuary. 
in opposing the first message, placed themselves where they could not see the light of the second angel's message, but the beloved of God who were oppressed, just like the Jews were being oppressed, accepted the message Babylon has fallen and left the church. First angel's message. I'm going somewhere with this, okay? Second angel's message. And then a third decree. The third angel's message. Get this. It's under the third decree that Israel received its autonomy. Do you know when the, when the third angel's message began to go forth? In 1844. And under that third angel's message, get, let me ask you, was there an Adventist church in the first angel's message? No, it was churches. It was, it, they, these were Jews scattered throughout the provinces of Babylon. Just like under Cyrus' first decree, there were Jews scattered under the provinces of Babylon. It was not until the third decree that Israel became its own separate nation and entity, just like the Seventh-day Adventist church under the third angel's message. That's when we got our name, Seventh-day Adventists. That's when the people came out and became a movement in and of itself. That's when you can say is the birth of the Seventh-day Adventist movement. Let me correct that. We didn't get the name Seventh-day Adventist until 17... I mean, I'm sorry, 1863, but it was under the third angel's message that we became an autonomous church. So, all that being said, what is the point of my message? <laughs> Beloved, we are living between Ezra and Nehemiah. There is a fourth decree to come. That decree is the fourth angel's message. The message of Revelation 18. Where the Bible says I saw an angel come down from heaven and his glory lightened the whole world. You see, beloved, Nehemiah was pretty sad because he thought the third decree would have been enough to finish the work. And when Nehemiah heard that the work had not been finished, he realized that it was a reproach to the people of God. Let me say it plainly. Every new year that we celebrate is a reproach to the people of God. Where are the Nehemiahs? Let me share something with you. Do you know how long it took Nehemiah to finish the wall? 52 days. 
That's upsetting. (laughs) 13 years, the wall lay in ruins. Nehemiah says, okay, nobody else wants to do it. I'll go do it. And it takes him 52 days. How long have we been here since the giving of the third angel's message? See, beloved, I don't have time to get into the rest of my message because the clock is running out here. But listen, Nehemiah's focus was on the wall and the street. What is the street? It gives you directions. It's the way. Yeah, the temple has been built. We've got that. But the street needs to be repaired. You see, beloved, we've got to learn how to give better directions. Why are you here to study the word of God? God, help me to be able to give better and more concise directions. So that the street can be rebuilt. It takes me too long to explain the Sabbath. It takes me too long to explain the state. Sometimes I don't even know what I'm talking about. Lord, I don't want to learn how to study just so I can impress somebody. Teach me how to study your word so that I can give better directions so that the street will be made plain. This is a work that the people of God must take up. Not just the minister, not just one guy here and one guy there. Nehemiah came and he said, guys, I want to convince you of something. I believe that if we all work together, we can build the street and the wall and we can do it in under two months. Beloved, I don't know the mathematical comparison. But we've been here almost 163, 164, something like that years since the giving of the third decree. How long would it take us to finish the work if we really believed that we could finish the work? You see, beloved, there were people there who were looking at the walls saying, man, look at the walls. They're broken down. This is sad. This is discouraging. But no one did anything about it. Can I tell you something? Like, okay, call me crazy. But I actually believe that I can help hasten the Lord's coming. You see, beloved, not only was the street to be rebuilt, but the wall was also to be rebuilt. And what is a wall? What does a wall serve for? It serves for a defense. You see, beloved, the time is coming where enemies of God are going to surround the city. Praise God. He's not going to let that happen until the walls are rebuilt. Zechariah tells us that God will be like a wall of fire around his people. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. How do we get the Holy Spirit? We have to plead for it. How do we build that wall of protection? It is through praying to the Holy Spirit. Protect us as a people. Surround us. Be our defense. So watch this. The street, studying the Bible. The wall, prayer. The work, 
Will we sit back and just lament? Look at the wall, it's broken down. Man, the streets look horrible. Whoa, huh. Can I tell you something? You know what? People call me, some people call me a dreamer. Because they're like, oh, yeah, pastor, really? Getting all the churches together to pray for 10 days at the same time for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? Sure, that'll never happen. Really, Pastor, organizing a, you know, simultaneous worldwide evangelistic series where we're preaching at the same time and it's not one person preaching, but many different preachers preaching around the world at the same time. Ah, stop dreaming. Beloved, can I tell you something? If you would only dream like Nehemiah dreamed. If you would only say, I don't care what the record is before me. I don't care how long it's laid in ruins. I believe that I can help hasten the coming of the Lord. The work must be organized. It must be systematic. That's what Nehemiah did. In fact, you will know that Nehemiah's enemies were continually trying to get him to come down from his work. He said, I can't come down. I'm doing a great work. What is it that has you coming down from the wall? What is it that has you coming down from the work? Beloved, what I'm trying to share with you is that the mission of army is to see Jesus come again. The mission of army, the vision of army is to raise up a generation of Nehemiahs that say, let us finish the work. Nehemiahs who will say, I'm going to study my Bible so that I can make the way clearer for somebody else. I'm going to pray that God will be a defense around his church. We can do this. Nehemiah encouraged and he roused the people to do the work. And beloved, the work was finished. I want to read just a few statements to you in closing. The work will soon be cut short in righteousness. You want to know why? (laughs) Just as Nehemiah completed the work, it was cut short because of his faith and his zeal. That's why the work is going to be cut short in righteousness. There will be a Nehemiah in the last days. I'm not talking about one individual. I'm talking about thousands of individuals who will receive that spirit of Nehemiah and the work will be cut short in righteousness. We must become more persistent and more devout in our efforts to carry it forward to completion. The time has come that we must not only be active, but we must concentrate that activity so as to make it tell. If we spent more time in the mount with God, our work would be more effectual. There must come more convincing power into our preaching. The sword of the spirit must be edged anew and sent forth with power. Shall we put ourselves to it like men with all the realities of of eternity before them? We want the Holy Ghost power to go forward and complete God's work in the earth. Who was the one that completed the work? It was Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah's whole soul was in the enterprise he had undertaken. His hope, his energy, his enthusiasm, his determination were contagious. Inspiring others with the same high courage and lofty purpose. Each man became a Nehemiah in his turn and helped to make stronger the heart and hand of his neighbor. Prophets and Kings, page 638. Here's my appeal. First of all, two appeals. You came here bound. Trapped. Build a temple. I can't build a temple. I'm bound. I'm bound to my past sins. I'm bound to, to, to the situations I have at home. I'm bound to these things. And today you've heard God's voice say, my son, my daughter, I've set you free. The gates are open. You are free to walk out. I need you to walk out because I need all hands on deck to finish the work so that I can come again. And today you're saying, that's me. I want to walk out from the bondage that is holding me captive. Would you raise your hand? My second appeal. Lord, make me a Nehemiah. Praise God for the Ezra generation that was before us. Praise God for the Zerubbabel generation that was before us. But now, now everything depends upon Nehemiah. Let us plead like Nehemiah that that fourth decree may be granted and God will grant that fourth decree to those whom he knows will go up and finish the work. I want to be a Nehemiah. Lord, make me a Nehemiah. No longer will I sit back and talk about my pension and what's going to happen when I retire and whatever. No, I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is finishing the work of God so that Jesus will come in my time. And if he doesn't come in my time, I'm going to live and work as though he were coming in my time. Heavenly Father. We thank you. We thank you, Lord, for being, sending Cyrus outside the city walls to penetrate the domain of death and hell. To open the gates that we might be set free. But Lord, you didn't set us free to do our own thing. You set us free so that we can finish the work. Lord, three decrees have gone forth and we are waiting for the fourth decree. In fact, Lord, the fourth decree almost came in 1888 and we rejected it. And so, Lord, we're still waiting for that fourth decree. Lord, give us the spirit of Nehemiah that we might equip ourselves with the tool of the word of God and with prayer that we might rebuild the street and the wall. Yes, though it be in troublous times, you have said it will be rebuilt. Thank you, Lord, for what you are about to do now through this group of Nehemiahs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com That's www.powerofthelamb.com Or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080 That's 805-226-8080 Thank you and God bless.